Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's among the favorite of our guest today. Now, while you may not know his name, he's no less influential in the film score fan community. His career was to be an audio engineer, but when he saw a job listing from the FBI, he was drawn to become a forensic audio examiner. Now, he's also the official audio engineer of the What's the Score podcast, and I'm grateful for that. He's helped me make many bad-sounding episodes sound a lot better. So I hope all of you will please join me in welcoming Douglas Lacey to the program. Hi, Douglas. Hi, Frank. I appreciate you being with us today. And yes, you are the official audio engineer of the podcast. You have gotten me out a lot of jams, and I'm forever grateful. And we'll talk more about that perhaps <laughs> later. Um, I know you've been a devoted listener and listened to many of our podcasts, so you probably know how I'm going to start this out off. I uh, I always like to have our guests tell us a little bit about themselves, you know, growing up, where they grew up, family, uh, you know, what were their younger years like and those sorts of things. Just kind of give us a little bit of a background, if you will. Sure, sure. So I was uh, born and raised in Orlando, Florida. My uh, dad worked at Disney for about 39 years, starting about four or five months uh, before it opened wow. in October of 71. Uh, so I... I like to say that I grew up on Main Street and, you know, the many lands of Walt Disney World there in the Magic Kingdom. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a you know a real pleasure and an honor that we that my sister and I had that that childhood and that uh, my extended family was able to to visit Disney, uh, you know, almost as anytime we wanted to. Sure. Really. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom is a registered nurse, and so she uh, she tended to work evenings and my, you know, my dad would work early morning shifts. And so they kind of, you know, shook hands in the afternoon as one came home and one went to work. But uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, growing up in Orlando, central Florida, ended up going to, um, university of Florida for three years, studying environmental engineering. And during my junior year had a sudden epiphany that environmental engineering wasn't what I wanted to do with mm. my career. And uh, it was a scary time, but 
at that time, I looked at my interests, uh, one of which was film music, and decided to, you know, to kind of turn my pre-engineering work over to something that would be what I thought would be more interesting personally to me into some sort of audio engineering program, um, which the University of Florida did not have at that time. Okay. So I ended up doing some research on different universities that had programs that offered bachelor's degrees and some sort of audio, uh, audio engineering. And the first one that came to my attention was University of Miami, which, uh, as you may know, Frank is a private school compared to the University of Florida, which is a public school. Right. And the cost was considerably more. Than, <laughs> <I bet>. uh, <laughs> and so I kind of set that one aside, did, did some additional research, but kept coming back to uh, the, the Miami program. And so I decided to write to them at that time. You know, the internet was pretty much non-existent. And they sent me a curriculum. And it was one of those things when I opened the envelope, it was like a ray of sunshine, a ray of light, you know, came down from the heavens. And <laughs> You know, the, the chorus of angels, everything you just, I looked at the sheet, the curriculum, and I said, well, this is it. I, and there's, there's just no turning back. So long story short, transferred to Miami, University of Miami, um, was there for an additional three years, got my bachelor's degree. Right. So when I was in the audio engineering program, my goal, as you mentioned earlier, was to pursue a, a career in audio post-production. So I wanted to you know, work with layering sound in for feature films and television shows. Uh, but it, by my last semester, I realized it probably wasn't going to happen. And I'm curious was, now, I, why, why did you think it wasn't going to happen? I, I just out of curiosity, because I don't want, I don't quite yet want to get into what you eventually did get into. So sure. t- tell me a little bit about, hmm, you know, I love this kind of work, but I, you know, I don't know if it's going to work out. I, I, I guess that's what you're saying. Tell me, you know, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, one of the things that that kind of soured me on it was I had a, an internship, a summer internship, prior to my last year at Miami, at a at a post production studio in Orlando, and you know, the first couple of days it was great. I was actually doing some hands on wiring of. Uh, of some control rooms and, and you know, really getting into the nitty gritty of the work. And then, you know, the third or fourth day I get handed a credit card and they said, Oh, go down to, to home Depot. And, you know, can you buy like three gallons of paint? And then, yeah, there's a room next door. We're moving into that room. Can you go and paint that room? And I'm sorry. I have to laugh. I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll be very quick with this. I have to laugh. I had a very similar experience. I was, I, I, it's very hard. It would take a long time. And just trust me on this. I, I was going through a college program and part of the, you know, half of the year was taking classes. The other half of the year was an apprenticeship to become a golf professional at a, at a country club to be able to teach and stuff. And, and basically the same thing happened to me here. I was all excited. I'll give, you know, I'll be giving golf lessons, working in the pro shop, all this stuff. No, that's not what happened. They had me work on the carts inside an aluminum barm, in 95 degree heat inside the barn was over hundred mm. degrees and it was, it was miserable. Oh. So I believe me, I understand, but go ahead and continue. Yeah. So I, I did like a day or two of that kind of manual labor and decided to cut the, you know, unpaid internship right. and I was not being paid for this, decided to cut that short. And, and, and then I, you know, I started to realize that that industry is very, you know, there's nepotism in it. 
and you know, in order to really make your way, you really do have to start out sweeping floors and painting rooms. And, and I thought, you know, that just wasn't for me. Mm. It wasn't what I, what I wanted for myself. So, um, so that, you know, the last semester of my, of college was a little concerning to me as far as, you know, what career path I wanted to choose since it didn't seem that audio post was, was in the, in the cards. Was your hope to kind of get in, in, in and again, I'm speaking cause I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about. So bear with me, but was your hope to get into kind of like audio mixing on recordings? Does that make sense what I'm asking? It, yeah, it was more, more specifically, you know, taking a, let, let's just take a feature film, which, right. uh, you know, is recorded. It may have some production sound, you know, from the actual filming, uh, but there would be no sound effects. There'd be no music. Okay. And so audio post-production in, in a, in a general sense, there's even, you know, further, uh, further levels, you know, when you say audio post, there's, uh, there's even you know, further divisions there, but, but generally I wanted to be able to, I wanted to take all of the sound effects, uh, the dialogue and do the mixing, the final mix for the, you know, the feature film okay. for the, okay. the final version. So, it, you know, it was, it was taking these disparate sources, dialogue, sound effects, uh, Foley, you know, the, the recording of, of Foley sound effects in the studio and the film music and bring that into the final mix for the huh. film. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but I also want to dive into some of the choices that you've made for, uh, cues you wanted to play. I love, I love some of these. I really do. There's a couple I'm not familiar with, but there's some I'm very familiar with. And I, I was inclined to want to play this one first only because of what, as we're, as we're recording this today, there was an event that recently took place at the location where they filmed the movie field of dreams, where they actually played a baseball game on the same location where they filmed that movie. And right. I noticed that you had, uh, one of the things that you had chosen was a cue from Field of Dreams called The Place Where Dreams Come True, uh, written by James Horner. Talk to me a little bit about uh, why you wanted to choose that amongst your favorites. So the, it goes back to baseball. Baseball was was a a, a mainstay in my relationship with my dad mm. uh, all throughout you know his, his life. He was a Little League coach when I was very, very young, uh, before I you know really even knew what was going on. Uh, I you know, played little league myself. He coached a couple of my teams. We collected baseball cards. We living in Florida, we went to many spring training games, uh, over the years. And so baseball was always a mainstay and obviously the field of dreams, you know, beyond being a baseball movie is a father son movie. And, and so this, you know, this cue here obviously underscores the, the, the very emotional final scene of the film. And yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's heart wrenching. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you and, and because as you're talking about it, and even as you're talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm curious, you know, did you shed a, a tear or two or get goosebumps when you watch this film, especially as it started to end its climax? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 and, and, and like you say, it's so much a father son movie. It's like, you have to explain it to your daughters and your wives. And those, you, okay, you don't get it, but trust me, this is really important. You know, <laughs> but it's a, this is great. It, one of, one of, one of yeah. the things, the greater works of James Horner. So let's have a look at the, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film Field of Dreams. The cue is called The Place Where Dreams Come True, and it's written by composer James Horner.
okay, I, I, I kind of forced you to, to kind of stop your, your progression of your career and those sorts of things. Cause I wanted to keep this as a separate mm-hmm. discussion. So, okay. Sure. You, uh, you, you, you get your degree as an audio engineer or whatever it was called. I, I don't know, but there was something that caught your eye, uh, a job listing that caught your eye. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I, I find this fascinating. Sure. So in my last semester, that semester where I was a bit uh, worried about what what the future held for me, uh, about a month and a half before graduation, there was a, a job posting for a forensic audio examiner uh, working at the FBI lab up in Quantico, Virginia. And you know, the first thing I said, well, what's forensic audio? <laughs> I had no clue what that was. It wasn't, you know, certainly wasn't a course that we took, uh, you know, during, during my time at the university of Miami. Uh, and, and so I called, uh, there was a phone number to call, spoke with the, uh, the, the program manager at the time. And, and strangely enough, he was familiar with the audio program at the university of Miami already. Oh, no. Uh, there, there's a sister program in uh, through the School of Music called Music Engineering, and University of Miami had m- really made a name for itself with that program. And one of its graduates had worked in the F- FBI lab uh, several years before, and so they were familiar with with the program. And when I sent them my you know transcripts and my syllabus, you know the different course listings and things like that, uh, they were very interested. In, in having me, uh, you know, continue to pursue this, you know, employment there. And ironically enough, about a week after I had called and, and made the initial contact, there was a, a representative from the lab who was going to be in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. And so they asked if I could drive up to Fort Lauderdale and meet with him. And I said, absolutely. Uh, I'll be glad yeah. to do that. Uh, and so I, I drove up there and the interview was basically, the gentleman had my resume in front of him. He said, Oh, you went to the university of Florida. I said, yes. He said, so, do, so did I, here's the application, <laughs> <laughs> fill this out. <laughs> you qualified. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, that was always yeah, a yeah, joke. Yeah, uh, I, that I understand. I had with it. Yeah. But, uh, no. And so basically I sent in the application. There's a, a lengthy background check, um, oh, various, man. you know, the polygraph examination and drug testing and everything. <laughs> Uh, and that, that process took about five, six months. Wow. And, and so, and which, which was actually very relatively short at huh. that time. And so I ended up, you know, f- five months after graduation, driving up to uh, Virginia and uh, beginning my career. All right. So, so then the next logical question is, I, I guess, at least from my standpoint, it certainly is, what the hell does a forensic audio examiner do for law enforcement? <laughs> <laughs> Well, as you may be, certainly nowadays, you may be aware that hardly any crime goes unrecorded mm, in some way, true, whether yeah. it be, yeah, whether it be audio or video, video surveillance, you know, probably being the most, you know, most obvious method of recording of, of, of individuals. You know, I, I can't remember, I think there was a study done in the, in the UK about how many times the average citizen would be captured on a video surveillance recording you know, per day. And it was something, you know, several wow. dozen or something oh, like that. So, yeah. And so when, when, uh, these investigating agencies, they, as part of their investigations, they'll make audio recordings, you know, whether they be undercover or, uh, interviews with victims or witnesses or the defendants themselves. 
and and a lot of times the recordings aren't made under the best conditions uh-huh. uh, for you know for quality. And so one of the, one of the the basic examinations that the forensic audio examiner will conduct is is enhancement, cleaning up an audio recording so that the voice information, you know, the desired information is more intelligible. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect of, of forensic audio that's actually more interesting generally is is authentication when a challenge is made to a recording. And so during my time at the FBI, I would work on authentication cases for different prosecuting agencies, you know, analyzing the recording myself, uh, assessing what the opposing expert, what the defense expert has said about the recording and, and, and generally coming to the truth. As, as a forensic audio examiner, we have to be objective. Oh, we have good, to yeah. re- rely on our scientific examination of a recording and, and we, we, we cannot advocate for our side, the other side. Yeah, we advocate for the science. We don't advocate for our client or or anyone else. Uh, so that's because if as soon as we don't do that, then our credibility yeah. is out the window as a testifying I witness. Bet. So, oh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's those are two of the basic examinations, and and similarly on the video side, which I now I do now conduct video examinations as well. Um, it's again video enhancement, cleaning up a recording so that the details can be seen more clearly, authenticating video. And, and, and like now that. you know why Douglas is the official audio engineer of What's the Score podcast. Because there's <laughs> been a couple of times I've had to have him clean up my mistakes. So there you go. Oh my. Yeah. No, it's 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 a pleasure. And, and you know, Frank, I wouldn't do it if I didn't uh, you know, I I enjoy your show very much and I, you know, always have always wanted to see it. Uh, you know, and hear it in the best quality no, I, possible. I, I so. really, I'm grateful and I appreciate it. I'm just having a little fun with it. But yeah, no, I, I do. I appreciate sure. your help. The, um, another cue you chose, this is a composer I kind of, well, I mean, I like some of his stuff, but I've never been enamored with it, but, but, but some of his stuff does hook me. Uh, I'm talking about Danny Elfman and the, the cue you chose is from the film Batman Returns is the end credits. Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about your thinking on wanting to include that on your list of favorites. So the, obviously Elfman uh, composed the score for the first Batman film that, uh, you know, that was directed right. by Tim Burton. And, and that, that film came out r- right as I was really getting into film music. And, and as great as that score is, I thought that Batman Returns, and I still think to this day, is, is really Elfman's magnum oh. opus. It's, it's just a, f- a fantastic score from beginning to end. And I think that uh, one of the major reasons for that is that the commercial release of the score, is it's sequenced so perfectly. It's one of those scores that, even though it's not complete, you know, the, as you, you know, Frank, that most of the film music releases are right. not complete, uh, and certainly of that era in the early 90s. Uh, but it, it just, it, the tracks run seamlessly from one to the next. It, it plays as just like essentially one large symphonic huh. work. And, and I think that, that this, this cue kind of su- summarizes all of the different themes, uh, character themes that Elfman wrote for the, for the sequel, uh, which I think are great, you know, for the penguin and for Catwoman, And, and obviously he's further developed themes that he had composed for the, for the original film, but. Yeah, it's it's it remains to this this day one of my favorite Elfman scores. Well, excellent, and 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 he's not been represented on this program enough, so I'm glad you chose one of his cues. So, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film Batman Returns. It's uh, from uh, the film. Well, I told you the film. It's by Danny Elfman, and it's the cue is the end credits. Let's have a listen. 
true disclosure here, uh, Douglas and I are, are long distance Facebook friends, I guess, if you will. And it was interesting because we were introduced by a mutual friend and it was because of a, a challenge I had that I'd like for him to talk about. The challenge I had was that, I don't know, I was obsessed with at least a couple of pieces of music that I'd heard uh, on TV programs in, in the 1970s. Uh, one was from from uh, uh, various productions of NFL films, if you're familiar with that, that I also happened to be uh, happened to notice was used in a trailer for a film called The Laughing Policeman. And the other one was uh, some music that we used in a documentary about Arnold Palmer uh, from 1973. And a mutual friend of ours, Douglas and I, had, had said, yeah, contact Douglas. He might be able to help you with this. So I, I sent him a couple of MP3s of, of you know, because I had recorded the, you know, I was a real geek in these days. I used to record things off a of TV, holding a microphone up to the speaker, you know, when it was playing. And that's how I had this music. And, uh, and, and I, I sent these to Douglas. And, and so I'm just curious because some of our listeners might, might be really interested in this. While you were not able to find me one of those, you were able to find another one. Talk to me about that and, and tell our listeners about what exists out there in, in the in internet land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what, one of the first things I do, and, and the main reason I enjoy these challenges is, you know, uh, certainly back in the nineties, I would hear a piece of music and I wouldn't, I'd love it, but wouldn't know what it was. And then lo and behold, kind of the experience you had with me, someone would, I'd, you know, upload a little sample of it and someone would immediately know what it was. And, and so I, I look at this, Frank, helping you out, I'm kind of paying it, you know, in a sense, paying it forward, but also repaying, you know, the, the times that it's been done, that's been done for me, you know, where I've been helped out with an unknown piece of music. Uh, one of the the simplest things is is an app called Shazam, huh. uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, Frank. But it's a it's an app you can you know you know download on your iPhone or your uh, your Android, and whenever you hear a piece of music you're interested in, you open the app and you tap a button and you hold the mic up to where the you know the music is coming from, and in some cases it will identify, wow. uh, and it's based on you know whatever database that it relies upon for matching this, this music. So not everything is in there by any means, but, um, in addition to film music, another thing that I've had an interest in is, is production library music. So music that's composed for a library of music, not, not for a particular production, you know, film or television, but music written with a certain tone, you know, adventure or mystery and made available in, you know, on back in you know the early days on LP and tape, and now on CD and digital downloads, that you can pay a license to just I want to license this particular piece Man. of library music, and use it for your commercial, your your you know, things like that. And so I, I became very familiar with uh, a couple different music libraries. And I, if I recall correctly, the one piece I was able to identify for you was from one of those libraries. Yeah, I, I, and I don't I don't remember which one, but it was it it, it ended up being the. Uh, because you had identified, or I had told you that I knew it was used in a trailer for the laughing policeman. And that was one of the clues that kind of helped, but I actually kind of mm -hmm. hooked up with it again, being a kind of a child of the seventies and the eighties. I used to watch all these TV programs by NFL films. I loved football and they used to use the same piece of music in some of their stories. 
And uh, so I was, oh gosh, I was, you know, it sounds silly, but I yeah. was like, my gosh, I've 30 years I've been trying to find this. And I finally did. <laughs> and I have you to thank for that. Well, no, that's, yeah, no, I'm, it was my pleasure. And like I said, it, it, I've had people do the same for me and, and, you know, it's just, it's just an incredible weight lifted, you know, yeah. once you realize Now, damn it, is. find the other one I asked you about, please. <laughs> I know, I know. I think that's, that's the Arnold oh, Palmer God, just, one, right? I, I think you know, that's the one. Well, we could go on and on about that, but it's just, to me, it's one of the most beautiful. <laughs> it's, I don't know who wrote it. I would like to know because it's just, it's just stunningly beautiful and how it's not yeah. out there. I, I just, I have no idea, but anyway, that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and I hope yeah. my listeners know, look, if, if you're in the same, and I suspect some of you are, maybe you've heard something, you love it, but you have no idea the genesis of it, who wrote it or where it's from, but you really like it. There is hope for you yet. And Shazam is one of them. And I guess there are other <laughs> ones as well. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Um, I, uh, I'm a fan of David Shires. And I know that one of the cues you chose was uh, one of his uh, compositions. This is from the film, The Conversation. Uh, and the cue is called the finale and end credits. So talk to us a little bit about that particular score and uh, how it made your list of favorites. Well, this, this film, you know, and I've included it primarily because it's, it's sort of a tribute to my yeah. career path, you know, that, that the, the main character, Harry call, you know, played by Gene Hackman is essentially right. a forensic I, I audio examiner. About that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, uh, and the score, which is, it's primarily a piano score, uh, it, 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 which having that solo instrument kind of, it kind of emphasizes his loneliness and seclusion. He's, he's kind of a loner in the film. Uh, He doesn't, uh, doesn't seem to have great personal, you know, interpersonal (laughs) relationships with people. And, uh, you know, and by the end of the film and he's gone through this just harrowing experiences, uh, he gets so wrapped up into this, this particular case that he's working, this, this particular job. And, and really the end, you know, the last scene he's, he's basically in a state of paranoia and I, you know, won't, won't go into why, yeah. you know, just in case your, your listeners want to you know, see the film. Um, but the, the, the particular cue I, I chose for the finale and end credits, it's, it's the main theme that's heard earlier in the film, but for this, because of the, his, his journey, uh, and, and where he's ended up in this parent, you know, it's kind of paranoid state that the theme is kind of twisted. There's a little bit of a, of a, of a distortion to, to the theme. It's not as straightforward and, and, you know, ha- I wouldn't say it's a happy theme to begin with, but, uh, th- there's something else. There's an edge to it, uh, as we hear it at the end of the film. And so that was, uh, the main reason I didn't pick the original, you know, the main theme itself and rather this, the somewhat subverted version. Fair enough. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film, the conversation. Uh, the cue is called finale and end credits, and it's written by composer, David Shire.
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week. Well, we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's patreon.com. I've not mentioned it before, but I should point out that bumper music you just heard was written by listener and friend Terry Wallstrom. Thanks, Terry. There's, you know, you and I have had conversations about this, and I know a lot of my listeners can relate to this. Um, there's, a, It's interesting. It's fascinating, actually. There's a lot of film score music groups that are out there on Facebook. Are there some that you particularly gravitate to and or some that you might recommend to the listeners maybe they aren't aware of. So, so obviously the film score monthly board, which is probably the yeah, probably has the largest contingency of, of film music fans uh, for discussion purposes. Uh, there's, and then you obviously have websites that are dedicated to composers themselves, you know, individual composers like JW fan uh, for John Williams and, and uh, Bernard Herman, I believe has a, uh, you know, an individual website as well. Um, but there are, yeah, there are a number of, of Facebook groups, the names of which at the moment escape me, but you know, some of the one, ones I've had the most enjoyment are tend to be more private in nature that, you know, have maybe have a smaller audience that, uh, for one reason or another, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, by invite yeah. only. Um, but they, they tend to be more intimate and, and you get to know the individuals a little bit more closely than, in you know some of the groups that have thousands of well you know what i find members. interesting too is that that and but, and i belong to some of these groups the, the there's such a strong connection these are people you know and these are people i've never met i've never met them but i i feel like we're close friends does that make sense what i'm saying mm -hmm. oh absolutely I, my my wife she ribs me because i she and i attended a wedding of a gentleman half a half a dozen years ago who I had known for probably 16 <laughs> years, but had never met. 
and literally the first time we met was the 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 reception oh, wow. the night before the wedding you know we walked into the room and i walked up to him and said hi i'm doug and we shook hands and that wow. was literally the first time we had met but he yeah we'd become so so close that he had invited had invited me to his wedding and but it yeah it's very much the same experience there's uh, you know several years ago i went to uh, portugal for work with my wife and met a, a a fellow John Williams fan that I had known for 20 years, uh, virtually. You it's know, amazing. And met. I'm also impressed and also kind of, uh, hmm, how do I say this? I, I'm amazed at how little I know by some of the people that I've met through these, these groups, because I have no musical training. I have, I, I have no way of describing what it is I like. I just know what I like. Right. And I'm and I'm I continue to be amazed at how many of my my friends on these groups can talk about and you're you're doing it today too about you know emotion that is uh, uh, because of this piece of music or because of the way they used a t- tempo or melody or whatever I, I'm impressed by the the uh, the amount of knowledge that people have about about film music that aren't maybe necessarily classical you know musician types. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it's, it, and I don't have any musical training either. I, I took music theory in college and, and <laughs> hated it. Uh, but I, I but in the, on the same token, I took, you know, musicology courses where you're studying pieces of music and, and how they fit into the history of, of music. And I love those. But when you, when you get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, what's this chord and what's the transposition of this melody and, I, I glaze over, you know, my eyes just glaze over, <laughs> you know, just as things that I enjoy in my work, my technical work with audio and video, you know, if I start talking to, about it to someone else, yeah. then their eyes glaze over, you know? So it's, yeah, but it, so I, much like you, Frank, I, I respond to the emotion There's something, I can't tell you why, you know, a particular piece of music or a particular part of a, of a cue hits me a certain way, but yeah. I just know it does. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and it. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I've, and I've had people try to explain it to me. Well, this is the technique you minor chords versus. And I, okay, fine. I, it still is Greek to me, and so it, it, maybe one day I'll be lucky enough to really truly understand it because there are some things that really hit me, and 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 it can be an action action music or romantic or you know uh, sweeping landscape music. Who knows what? But I there there are there's some hooks that for some reason get me, and I wish. I just wish I could identify what they were. So it's just, it's just interesting. And I, and there are people that on these groups, yeah. if you're not a part of these groups and you're in, you know, if you're listening to this program, you should be part of the, some of these groups, choose your favorite composers, or even there, there, yeah. there are groups out there just about film music or film soundtracks. If you search on Facebook there, it's amazing how many are out there and they're very welcoming. They'll usually accept your, uh, 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 interest in wanting to join the group, join the group and you'll, you'll learn a lot and really make some great connections. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's very much, you know, the sharing of information, you know, if you pose a question, there's oh, almost yeah. always yeah. someone it's, who can answer it's it. It's quite amazing. It's you quite know, amazing. It's, yeah. It's everyone has their little niches, their little interests and, and it's, yeah, it becomes a community unto yeah. itself. This, this next cue you chose, and doggone it, I hate myself sometimes because this is a film I still need to see and I haven't seen it. And it has a score by one of my favorite composers. I'm talking about the film called Hoosiers. 
Uh, it's written. Uh, the score is written by Jerry Goldsmith. The uh, the cue that you've chosen is the pivot, which sounds very much like a basketball term, which is very appropriate since it's a movie about basketball. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know what is it you like about that particular cue or score, and why you wanted to include it in your favorites. So this this score, this it was is a memorable score for me because. It was one of the first two that I, I purchased in a music store with my, with my (laughs) own money. (laughs) And and it was, it really was kind of the turning point for, you know, it was a sudden realization that, wait, I can enjoy the music that I hear in a film and buy it separate from the movie. You know, it was kind of that, that point of realization where that there was, and you know, once, once I did that, there was no turning back, you know, from that point forward, (laughs) but it it was a film, uh, I would, at the time, the the year after it came out, I was playing JV basketball in my high school, and the coach, uh, in lieu of, of practice one evening, he took us out to pizza, and we watched the film. Yeah, he, oh, wow. he had the film set up with a big TV, and it was the first time I'd seen the film. And you know, it was it was it's a highly motivated. I really recommend you see it, Frank. It's a highly motivating film, you know, especially for a kind of a floundering <laughs> basketball team that, <laughs> such as we were, and. We were you know, high, super motivated. Unfortunately, it didn't really help our record from that point forward. But uh, so that and so was the within a week or two, I'd gone to the mall and and was looking in the music store and saw the cassette uh, of of Jerry Goldsmith's score and bought it immediately with with another another score that for a film that I had seen in my history class that same year. Oh wow! Uh, the okay. Killing Fields. Uh, scored by Mike Oldfield, uh, which is an entirely yeah, a whole different, you know, yeah, different score than, than, yeah. So, so those two scores still remain personal favorites, you know, is kind of because of their place in my enjoyment of film music. Um, but with this, with respect to this particular cue, um, you know, Goldsmith in, in a lot of his scores, he loves to play with rhythm, with strange rhythms and meters and mixing rhythms and in this particular cue, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a, a basic rhythm, but what he does is he, it seems like he emphasizes the second beat of the measure, which makes it, gives it like a syncopated sound. Um, and it, it just, it really is, is an interesting cue from that standpoint. And plus the score, there are moments that are very, very much Americana. Uh, and there's a, a bit of that in this cue, but there are other cues in the film that, that really the, the, op- the whole opening of the film. And, and, uh, and these is, are comments really coming from someone who said they so, know nothing about music. Okay. So <laughs> measures well, yeah. and tempo and I, okay, whatever you say, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah, having know, fun with you. I know enough to be dangerous. I oh, said, yeah. 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 But yeah, there, there's some, yeah, it's some, like I said, some off kilter rhythms in this particular cue kind of competing that give it a, a sense of, of, uh, of movement certainly but but not yeah. necessarily organized movement maybe okay. scattered well let's say, let's movement. have a listen for ourselves this is from the film called Hoosiers now, the cue is called the pivot and it's written by composer Jerry Goldsmith
were talking about buying this soundtrack for uh, uh, the Hoos- uh, Hoosiers, and it reminded me, and because I guess you and I are of a, of an age, we're not. I don't think we're the same age, but we're kind of roughly in that same group. Where this was before, you know, DVDs and VHS and debate and all this stuff was available, where you could just plop the movie in and see it again. The only way you could relive movies was through soundtracks. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, that was going through my head when I saw the cassette. It's a shame that I wonder if that's affected. I wonder if that's affected soundtrack sales that, that, uh, you know, because hey, I can just plop in the movie if I want to kind of relive it. I don't have to rely on the soundtrack. I wonder if it's affected sales of soundtracks. Do you have any, any thoughts? I don't, I don't know, but do you have any thoughts on that? That's that is an interesting observation because, and I think it even extends to uh, things like Spotify. You know, I I subscribe to Spotify, which means you know, and there's Apple Music and Amazon has its own you know, you know, monthly subscription service. And you know what I find myself doing sometimes is I'll I'll start playing something on Spotify, and then I think, oh yeah, I can also listen to this. Let me go listen to that. So I end up jumping from piece to piece or score to score or, you know, Billy Joel song to, you know, some classical thing, classical piece without, without really having listened to the entire thing I was listening to at first. And it, it's almost like a, you know, a ADHD <laughs> scenario where you, you, there's just so much content that, yeah, the, 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 the days of sitting down and putting on an LP and, you know, starting at band <laughs> one on, on side one, and listening through, you know, that side and then flipping it over and listening. No Those kidding. Days I mean, it, it, you know, it's, um, I don't know if you have kids or not. I, I sometimes I wonder, I have, I have a daughter who's like in her early twenties and I, there's some, there are times when I will say, yeah, here, look at this. This is called a record player. I want you to see, here's an album. Okay. And this is the way we, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's so foreign to how things are today. And, and how you can, like you say, you just instantly, yeah. boom, 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 boom. You just change from one track to the other. You don't have to worry about it. Or, you know, it just, it boggles the mind sometimes. It, it's, it is yeah, amazing. No, I, I mean, like it's it. wonderful. I, don't I'm get not, me wrong. But you know, it's on one hand, I'm not complaining. How yeah. Different it is. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. It's, uh, and there was something you just said. Um, That's all right. Yeah, I can't remember. It's gone. That's something you'd said. It's good to know I'm not the only one that has a senior moment. Okay, so <laughs> uh, you another one of your favorites you chose is, is for is one of my favorites uh, film scores. And 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 truth be told, and and some of my listeners know this. I'm I respect and I like John Williams as a composer. I don't love him. However, however. You know, to me, to me, his best score was Schindler's List, which I know will su- surprise a lot of people. But that being aside, I would say one of his second bests was one of the ones you chose, and that is from the film Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the, the cue you chose uh, is uh, called The Map Room slash Dawn. Tell me a little bit, because I think this is one of, I think this is fabulous what he did for this. It was, it was just, it was just great. It was fun scored. It was just match the images perfectly. So tell me a little bit about why you like this particular cue and, and, and want to include it in your favorites. This, so Raiders uh, as a score always pops up in you know my top three, if I'm ever asked. And, and, and I, again, I'm 
I've certainly never hidden oh, the yeah, fact yeah. that I'm a Nor huge John Williams no. fan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not, never shy about that, but you know, you, you every once in a while, you're always asked, you know, what's your favorite, what's your favorite film scores or what's your favorite John Williams film scores or et cetera. You know, and, and, and what I find is over time it, it changes, you know, my tastes change and things like that. But Raiders consistently, you know, always in the top three for me, uh, the, you know, the, the, the score as a whole is so varied. You know, you go from, you know, this, you know, there's the beginning of the film starts in the jungle and you have this mysterious, uh, you know, these, these <laughs> mysterious individuals going in the cave and, you know, uh, and then you've got, you know, just, straight out action cues. You've got humorous cues, uh, you know, that, that are sprinkled in with right. like the basket game when uh, Marion is being, you know, kidnapped in the basket and, you know, Harrison Ford's chasing her, but, and, and, uh, and obviously the, the larger action cues, but the map room that, that whole scene. So what, this is when he descends into the, the map room, uh, obviously with the, the medallion on the, uh, you know, at the top of a pole, uh, the pole is of, you know, a certain length that, you know, when placed at a certain location in this room will right. reveal the location of the Ark, you know, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and so this, this cue really, you know, it sets the tone perfectly. It, you know, you've got the mystery, you've got the potential danger, you, you know, Indiana Jones has no clue what's going to happen here. And, and, you know, quite honestly, it raises that scene to, you know, biblical proportions, you know, literally that, you know, the, the biblical implications of what he's, what he's trying to discover. Uh, and it, it just builds to this you know, huge crescendo with, with a female choir. And it, it, yeah, it's just a fantastic cue of all the cues I could, I mean, I could almost, you know, put, put the cues on a dartboard and throw a, a dart at it and pick any cue. But yeah, I, I mean, figured I'd go with this one. This one, uh, yeah, you know, kind of, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, imagine this scene with no music. I mean, it, 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 it would, it'd be flat yeah. probably. I mean, you know, there'd be some suspense and I mean, you know, because, oh, yeah. because, but it doesn't have nearly the power that it does without, without the music behind it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's Harrison yeah. Ford standing, <laughs> holding a pole. I mean, you know, and here's a close up of his face and then here's a long shot, you know, of him standing there. Yeah. There's not much going on in the scene, um, but you're right. I mean, this, yeah, this uh, this really All right, well, elevates that. Let's scene have a listen for ourselves. This is special. from the, the fabulous film, The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the cue is called the the Map Room Dawn, and it's written by the maestro John Williams.
you and I are of the, uh, I think I'm older than you are, but we're, we're kind of in the same area to where we maybe kind of grew up on scores of the seventies and the eighties. And, um, yeah. You know, if you've listened to my shows, you probably know where I stand on this, but I'd be curious about your thoughts on this. How, how has film scoring changed from, let's say, the 60s, 70s, and the 80s to current day? Or has it changed? I don't know. Maybe not. I'm just be kind of curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, and it's, you know, nothing novel with what I'm going to say here, but there, I think that there's a general sense that filmmakers, they want to avoid what they perceive mm-hmm. as forced emotion or, you know, leading, leading the audience okay. explicitly yeah. to feel a certain way. And I think, and I think that's, that's impacted film music greatly. And again, this is nothing novel. You know, I've see, heard this discussed in other groups. Um, they, somehow the filmmakers believe that's manipulative, that they don't want to manipulate the audience. And, you know, and for film music fans who grew up in the golden age and, and silver age of the seventies and eighties, that it's, really flies in the face of what, what, what we came to enjoy with film music and, and why we were drawn to it. Um, and I think also the, from a technical side, you know, I've heard composers, I think like Bruce Broughton and, and a number of other composers talk about, you know, when a composer is hired they're nowadays they're expected to have <laughs> a complete score in demo form, you know, you know, and, and, and so that the, you know, the filmmakers can hear, basically hear the entire score mocked up, uh, before they go into a recording studio. And, you know, and i I'm sure you've seen some of the videos of, of, uh, John Williams and S- Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, with Williams sitting in front of the piano playing themes from his, you know, here's, here's right. a theme from ET and, you know, plays that, uh, you know, and, and that would be the extent to which Spielberg would, would know anything about the score until he literally went to the, re- this recording stage. I, I've got to interrupt you because one of the, the best sessions, things I've seen from that is you're right. And, and people imagine this, if you haven't seen this film before, imagine John Williams is sitting there with Steven Spielberg and he says, here's what I've come up for, come up with for jaws. Dun, 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 dun. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> before it was electronic demos that was all he had was dun 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 and you know yeah on a piano yeah two keys on a keyboard yeah on the piano yeah that that's yeah a famous story of spielberg's and yeah that he literally is like that's it what you know well there's something else trust me for sure composers used to uh but yeah everybody in this broad podcast knows i love john barry and a lot of times that was his thing that was his thing with director trust me just trust me it will work and and they have to take their word yeah. for it a lot of times. Yeah, just... yeah they sure, sure. Yeah, composers are, you know, I've heard other composers, you know, refer them store themselves as storytellers. You know, they're every much as much a storyteller as the director, as the uh, you know, the the screenwriter and everything yeah, else. They and, they just and, look and at I always it loved the way John way. Barry used to phrase and, it. And later on in his career, he he like he said, I'm not a film composer, I'm a musical dramatist. And I thought that I said yes. There we go. That's, yeah, that's yeah. it. Bingo. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of my hero, John Barry, uh, one of the cues you chose was, and gosh, you know, and we're very lucky because a very recent release just came out. The film I'm talking about is Somewhere in Time, and they're actually 
fact, I'm holding it in my hand right now. There actually has been a new release of the score from Somewhere in Time that is not only all the original score, not the soundtrack, not, not, the, not, excuse me. It's the original soundtrack. In other words, it's all the film recording because the thing that was released before were, were actually recorded for albums. What has just been released now is, as is actually lifted from the actual recordings from the, for the, for the soundtrack of the movie and has a lot of additional cues that weren't included before. Um, However, the one, and I don't know, I don't know, uh, you'll have to tell me, I don't know if you chose this particular cue from this new CD that's come out. Uh, the cue you choose, chose was a day to cover, uh, excuse me, a day to, uh, together slash end credits. It's from the film called Somewhere in Time, written by John Barry, which is just uh, beloved by millions of people. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, you choosing that, and, I, and I'm curious, did you choose it from this new CD? Yes, uh, although I think it might have appeared on okay. the, the original release as well. Um, yeah, this I think, as I to the best of my knowledge, this cue was the original cue that Barry had composed for the end credits, but ultimately was uh, replaced by some revised version. Yeah, I think, I think it was, was replaced by on the one that was recorded CD. with with John. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Roger Williams on the piano. Um, I, I think, but anyway, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, this, uh, but the, the reason I chose this cue, this, uh, you know, I've had many different people in my life who've, have all played a role, you know, un, in a sense, and sometimes unknowingly in my love of film music. And, and one mm. of those, uh, individuals is my mom. Uh, and my mom at this time in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, she had a certain, <laughs> let's say attraction to Christopher Reeve. And, uh, <laughs> and so between this film, between somewhere in time and Superman two, uh, which I think came out in 1980, if I'm not mistaken, um, in which Superman two, we saw in the, the theater wow. that summer, probably <laughs> seven or eight times. Uh, she took, she, <laughs> she was more than happy to take us to see that movie, but, uh, but somewhere in time was, was close on the heels of, of Superman two. And, you know, obviously both, both, uh, feature Christopher Reeve and, and this score, uh, you know, I, I don't have, to, I'm preaching to the choir, you know, Frank for you, but, this score is just, it's like, it's perfect. It, it, it's almost like each note is just, or even these themes existed in the, in the ether somewhere and Barry <laughs> just happened to hear it and put it down on paper. And, and, and each note, it's just, it's natural and per, everything yeah, is perfectly well, placed in the score, in my opinion. Um, and, and I think it's even more poignant and, and you may correct me on this, but I believe that the score was impacted by, uh, Barry's the loss of Barry's parents. I think uh, close to the time he was writing the score for the film, I think both of his parents had they had recently uh, yeah, passed away, a possibly few, uh, or a few months before they had uh, both of them had passed with, with a six meet a six week window. As I think his dad and then his mom within six weeks. Oh, I, I didn't realize now it was he's that. he's never okay. officially commented on it. I, I I was at an event once where he was asked that. Okay. And he said, you know, none of your damn business. <laughs> Was his response, and and oh. uh, which kind of tells me, you know, yeah, maybe it was. So, but, but regardless, I mean, you know, the inspiration is a yeah. I, to me, it's a crime. And look, I, I can understand if he doesn't win, but I cannot believe why he was not nominated for an Oscar for this. It was, it's just phenomenal. And as he pointed out himself to me in an interview, yeah. which you can read, you can listen to in a previous podcast that I did in 1981, the movie actually the movie actually bombed at the box office. 
but it became very popular on cable. And mm-hmm. the album to this day has has made money, like you know, unlike any other soundtracks have made money. It's it just sold phenomenally well, which tells you how powerful the score was. Yeah, yeah, it had you know, far-reaching you know, yeah. implications. Yeah, you know, outside of the film. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> we we had it on a Betamax tape. I remember back you mentioned Beta earlier today, and uh, yeah, we had it on a Beta tape, and uh, and yeah. so yeah, it, and, it, it and, was uh, a well-worn uh, tape. And, and to be fair, on top of the <laughs> the music, I mean, the performances were terrific. Jane Seymour, gosh, how can you not fall in love with her? And and Christopher Reeve oh, is just you know this dashing young man who's just vulnerable and just you know romantic and. Christopher Plummer is terrific as the, you know, the, you know, who knows how to describe it, but it was, it was just, it was all the a villain, match made. Yeah. And, and what a beautiful location that to this day uh, is a, some, a place on my bucket list. I want to visit one day. Well, anyway, let's, let's quit talking about Absolutely. it and let's listen yeah. to it. This is uh, from the film somewhere in time. The cue is called a day together, uh, otherwise known as the end credits. And it's written by composer John Barry.
Now, is there a, I, I don't know. I, I Typically, a lot of times my last question with, with people is to, you know, what do you got in the pipeline? What are you doing? Because usually these are people that are, you know, promoting projects and or things that maybe the public might be interested in. I, I, I guess in your position, there's not, right. there's not, or I don't know, you tell me, is there something that might, people might be interested in? Are you active on a particular group on Facebook or, you know, do you have a blog or something like that that people might be interested in? No, no not really. Um, I, you know, participate in the, in the different message boards uh, and, but uh, yeah, nothing that, uh, like I have, like other your others of your guests, obviously that uh, may have you know, releases coming up or scores they've worked on and things like that. Yeah, I I do not work in in the film music field, and I, I in a way I'm glad that I don't because I think maybe if I if I did, and even if I worked did I end up working in audio post production, it may not enjoy uh, you know film music and yeah, take the you know, fun out it of would, it. Yeah, I'd be look at it as a job. You know, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I you know I guess in that. And that, uh, from that perspective, I'm almost glad I didn't go into that field. I, I certainly have friends that I went to school with who did go into that field and I sort of, <laughs> you know, live vicariously through them. Uh, <laughs> and I'm always thrilled to see their names pop up in, in credits of films and things, but, um, no, no, I just, uh, you know, I happy to help you with, with, uh, your podcast as needed and, you know, hopefully. Hopefully, obviously, if you bring me in, then there's a problem. So, you know, we don't, we don't want well, that. But I, and, I, and I hope our <laughs> listeners know, and I don't know how you feel no, about I'm this. If you want to look him up on Facebook, he might be uh, willing to, to, to connect on a friendship basis or something like that. Or you might see his comments on some of the uh, uh, film music groups that are on Facebook. And in which case, now you'll know who he is because he's, he's a very well-informed and very intelligent, very intuitive person when it comes to, to film music and film scores so uh, you know i hope you've enjoyed listening to his perspective on film music and hearing some of his favorites today I, I, douglas i've had a blast talking to you today I, I hope you have as well absolutely yeah thanks frank thanks frank it's uh it was an honor to be asked and yeah, i didn't hesitate <laughs> to uh you know respond in the affirmative so i'm it's been i've been you know, thrilled to be here today and talk with you and and I can look forward to your, your continuing with, with uh, your other guests and your podcast. And I've fallen a little, that, little bit behind on right. listening, look, but I hope to uh, rectify you, that. You've been shortly. a huge supporter, and for that I will always be grateful. Um, listen, my, uh, my thanks to, uh, to Douglas for joining us on the program today. Obviously, my thanks to our uh, patrons who are, uh, joined us on uh, Patreon to, to support the program. In fact, we'll have a bonus episode with Douglas here that we're going to record in a moment. Uh, and also, thanks to all the listeners for supporting the program. I'm grateful for you to have an interest in film music and to kind of hear what's out there in terms of uh, film music maybe you haven't heard before. So hopefully this has exposed you to all sorts of different film music. And I appreciate your listenership as well. So with that, there's uh, not much more else to say other than this. My, uh, my name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?